This is a podcast by The Straits Times. This is Asian Insider and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now the situation in Myanmar has tragically deteriorated. The military junta has been trying to quell countrywide protests and the death toll is unfortunately mounting. There has been a lot of violence, a lot of brutality against the protesters. There is no sign of the regime budging either, but it also faces a resistance that does not look like dying down, powered very much by a younger generation. Now, in the international community in ASEAN, as well as in the West, there is uncertainty as to what to do. Joining me today to discuss this and what may possibly lie ahead are Mo Tuzar, coordinator of the Myanmar Studies Program at the Institute of Southeast Asian Studies in Singapore, and Rome Kayo, based in Tokyo, principal of the advisory firm SIPA Partners, and an associate fellow also at the Myanmar Studies Program at the ICES in Singapore. And from Yangon, Uso Min Ong, founder of the Yangon Center for Independent Research. Now, Motuzar, may I start with you? Every day we are seeing an escalation. And we are seeing a lot of it in graphic detail and almost immediately online. And this has horrified many observers. Yet the international community, ASEAN, the West, in the US included, does not have very great leverage in Myanmar. I see the pro-democracy protesters are appealing for international intervention citing, among other things, the right to protect principle of the UN. But as of now, we have only targeted sanctions, which are also unlikely to have much effect. What can the international community realistically do to change the course of, of uh, the situation in Myanmar? Uh, thank you, Nirmal. Uh, greetings to everyone from Singapore, where I'm sitting. I'd like to start off with my heartfelt and deepest condolences to the families of all of those who have lost their lives, innocent lives, senselessly in this brutal suppression of peaceful demonstrations, of people who are trying to voice their desire for a return to the democratic transition that had brought so many opportunities and freedoms to society at large. And so uh, on that sad note, I'd like to refer back to what you had talked about, Nirmal, about the mounting casualties. I think the death toll in total since the shooting started around the week of February 9th uh, are now closer to 50. And yesterday was the largest number and most indiscriminate of um, the suppression uh, across the nation. And so all our hearts are heavy. But what we are seeing now, I think, thanks to the immediacy of information that can spread across uh, the world, uh, we are seeing this almost in real time as it happens. And this is the big difference from 2007 when the Internet revolution and sending images out of Myanmar uh, was not that easy, although it did um, highlight a point uh, in, in the uh, ability of Myanmar netizens to bypass uh, interceptive software to get those images out. And of course, uh, this is also a far cry from the bloody coup in 1988, where the world could start seeing images only days later. Uh, so I think the immediacy of information here is uh, something that we can uh, look at in terms of uh, getting this very serious message across on the kind of impact that it is having 
uh, in Myanmar and the commitment of the people. Uh, every day they are coming out. Today it is going to be the same. And um, it, this is really something that is uniting people across the nation uh, to reject unlawful military rule and also to voice that they want to continue with the democratic t- uh, transition, um, imperfect though it may be, but with that wider space for voicing concerns um, under the government that they had elected in November 2020. And uh, it also highlights the impact and importance of the civil disobedience movement that is in- continuing in Myanmar, where civil servants, particularly those who are actually doing the work, the pen pushers, the paper pushers, and those who are trying to get the bureaucracy uh, uh, continually running, those are the people who are participating more and more in the civil disobedience movement, which is going on um, in tandem with the protests. And of course, the protests are also to encourage the CDM, the civil disobedience movement participants. So where does all this, um, the, 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 the situation in Myanmar link to what uh, ASEAN and the international community can do. Now, I think there's been a, a lot of uh, focus on ASEAN and the limitations of regional cooperation in recent days. Um, I think people in Myanmar have always looked to the international community and later um, as an ASEAN member also to ASEAN uh, for the kind of um, enhanced interactions or interventions that they could do. Um, and the, the and of course the expectations continue, even though I think there is some now disillusionment with maybe the um, the pace uh, at which uh, interventions can happen. So uh, I, I think this is where um, I'm trying to look at the kind of uh, creative uh, solutions, the innovative solutions uh, beyond the established practices that ASEAN and the international community have had recourse to. Um, early on, I recall that there were a group of friends around personages like the United Nations Secretary General. And uh, I I think that kind of mechanism, that consultative mechanism of uh, countries that have have concern, have interest, have have a stake in, in Myanmar and her future, I think we can certainly regroup and advise key personages such as the United Nations Secretary General, who also has a special rapporteur uh, dealing with this issue, and also at the ASEAN level, I think we can also think about that kind of a a friends of the ASEAN Secretary General to really uh, work together cohesively in in, in this kind of uh, uh, mechanism, which will be very important when we are trying to break through the very stubborn barriers that have been put up, erected by the SAC, um, who seems to be digging in for the long run, um, prepared for isolation and sanctions even, to to get that message through, because I think um, mediation is imperative. Bringing the important stakeholders to uh, to, to the negotiation table with uh, dedicated mediators uh, and it's not about the mediators, yeah? It should never be about the mediators. It is about the mediation and the interests of the key stakeholders, particularly the will of the people. So I know it's difficult, I know it's challenging, but every step towards uh, getting a breakthrough starts with mediation, even the responsibility to protect. The first step starts with looking at where capacities can be built or shored up before the other uh, intervention steps are escalated. 
And this is important in a country such as Myanmar, which does not have those firm institutions for democracy yet entrenched. We have weak state capacity. We have a divided society where polarizations can, can either cause those divisions to go deeper or uh, through mediation and you know, discussing, bringing people to the table, we can maybe try to uh, minimize the very uh, strong feelings of radicalization that are in the breasts of many um, who, of course, you know, uh, are seeing their numbers repressed and suppressed in a brutal manner day by day as the protests continue. I'm sorry if I've taken too much time, but this is a topic that is very close to my heart and I'm passionate about what is happening for change in my country. No, absolutely. Thank you for that. And Usome Dong, you have said that this has become a zero-sum game and what is needed is an off-ramp for the military and the NLD to get to a negotiating table. But the military does not seem to be in any mood to negotiate. Do you think it would, perhaps if it is confident that it has a situation under control and not doing so under pressure? Uh, well, uh, what we can notice here is that uh, both the uh, demonstrators and uh, the security forces uh, had shown a lot of restraint uh, for uh, about three three weeks. And then the violent crackdown took place uh, only like uh, five or seven days ago uh, when the regime's uh, security was, uh, when the regime felt uh, its security was threatened and its legitimacy challenged. The present crisis cannot be overcome by each side pulling to the rather extreme position. Uh, mm -hmm. making it a zero-sum game. So then, at the end of the day, negotiation is the only way out. And uh, and we should avoid also raising a high expectation on the, on the part of the uh, demonstrators as regards the uh, international institutions and uh, R2P type foreign intervention in Myanmar. We need to come into terms with uh, this uh, post-coup reality. In in many ways, the the SAC uh, is the de facto regime which holds the center, uh, but they they cannot effectively govern uh, the the local and uh, ward level you know administration. Okay. Uh, at the same time, they are not significantly lacking in the jury perspectives because their seat is located in Lepido, and uh, which is far away from uh, Yangon and other uh, other cities. Uh, and the bureaucracy, uh, especially the top level, uh, they can keep running for a while. So uh, we should uh, focus here on the ASEAN, central, ASEAN centrality, because ASEAN plays uh, a, an important role in mediating between uh, the, the military regime and the, uh, the pro-democracy uh, uh, forces led by Dong San Suu Kyi. So uh, we should not leave uh, some channel of communications uh, uh, we should not, we should not uh, 
close all channels of communication with the with the regime, and we should take a longer perspective. And uh, for example, we should even think about reactivating uh, some uh, mechanism like the ASEAN uh, Special Envoy to Myanmar. Uh, so it it will only it will not only facilitate uh, ASEAN's access uh, to uh, to the generals in Lipido, but it can also serve as an intermediary uh, for the domestic uh, intermediaries because uh, this is a very tense situation uh, inside the country and any attempt to mediate between uh, the military authorities and uh, the um, pro-democracies uh, populations uh, are easily very quickly undermined or discredited because the people are so furious that they are democratically elected government uh, had been uh, removed and you know taken away uh, by the by the military so the I think the role of the international community here is not to exacerbate the existing tensions, but to mediate, but to mediate and diffuse the conflict, uh, so that uh, any channel <clears throat> communication will be open. Uh, and it, ASEAN also should uh, maintain it, its centrality. Okay, Roma, uh, over to you in Tokyo. I wanted to ask you, what are the ramifications on the economic front? Now, we know that Myanmar was already struggling. It had the, the pandemic to deal with uh, as well before this, and now it risks falling deeper into a hole. What do you anticipate economically? Yes, uh, thank you, Myanmar. And um, my condolences also to the people of Myanmar, given uh, current uh, events. Um, clearly, there is an economic disaster in the making. It has already started, uh, not only because of the protests, but most importantly, because of the civil disobedience movement. Banks, most banks are not uh, operating fully. Ports are not operating fully. Border crossings with uh, neighbors are uh, closed in many circumstances because customs officers have walked away from their uh, posts. The same holds true for many hospitals, schools. Um, so Minon was mentioning uh, the fact that the government, so the, sorry, the military regime cannot control uh, local uh, ward and village uh, offices, meaning that local administration is not functioning. Mm -hmm. So basically you have a situation that has been lasting for about a month and that is uh, worsening daily where the economy has stopped. You can imagine in a country like Myanmar that is highly dependent on a, a few uh, sectors, such as garment, garment export, or for example, agriculture. In the first case, strikes, and of course the end of orders by international brands that are extremely concerned about the situation on the ground. On the other hand, agriculture, um, Financing for farmers who are usually heavily indebted, not working properly, and goods not being uh, able to be exported uh, as per usual. 
I mean, again, we are looking at a month of an economic disaster in the making with an impact that is only going to increase as we move forward. And I think the impact will increase for a number of reasons. Uh, the first week after the coup, what I could see uh, among the, the business community, especially and others, was the idea that this was a regime that uh, we could work with. For example, uh, the fact that uh, Ong Nainu had been appointed minister, someone who was well known uh, to investors under former President Tenzing and uh, the NLD government. So there, there were these signals of a certain level of continuity and uh, SAC saying that uh, it will remain business friendly and nothing will change. And so I think it worked for a week until the, the protests and civil disobedience movement took fire and started. And uh, that the, the spiral of violence uh, uh, started to escalate. I think all this, uh, the idea that this regime can be uh, a, a, a normal business partner has gone out of the window. Uh, for many uh, country governments and investors and aid agency and others who are playing a role in the Myanmar economy in one way or another. So again, I'm, um, I'm very uh, pessimistic about the state of the Myanmar economy moving forward, uh, not only short term, but mid term. I think that the shocks, the political shock, the social shock, and uh, the upcoming sanction strengthening that is coming and the huge political and reputation risks associated with any type of business activity in the country and seeing all of these shocks will add up and lead to an, an economic disaster for Myanmar. Usomint Ong, if I may go back to you in Yangon, the young demonstrators, it is a leaderless movement, or as one of them told me, everyone is a leader. This is both an advantage as there are no leaders to arrest, but it is also a problem because there is no unified message. And the military is a very large institution. It has all the power. What is your view on this dynamic going forward? What is your forecast for these protests? What are you sensing on the ground over there? Uh, well, the demonstrators are leaderless and directionless. Uh, initially, uh, the Generation Z uh, is said to be uh, leading the, the movement. Uh, but uh, later on, there, there has been uh, more uh, politically oriented uh, organization like the committee representing the Bidangzu parliament. But uh, the, the, the problem is that the protesters are now increasingly striving for something that can easily be achieved, uh, which means removing the uh, military authoritarian system once and for, for all. And uh, they have to be specific about the objectives they would like to achieve, like the, uh, uh, the, the, the release of uh, the detained leaders, uh, particularly Dong San Suu Kyi, and, and uh, the recognition of the 2020, 2020 election results in some way. Uh, the military, on the other hand, is one of the most institutionalized state organ uh, that, that holds the multi-ethnic country together. And up until this point, they are able to keep running bureaucracy in Libya, issuing one law after another, controlling also the uh, top level of uh, civil servants. 
So the question is that, you know, uh, if we would like to see the, if, if we'd like to see, you know, the same kind of uh, uh, history repeating itself, like we would, if we would like to see another 10 or 20 years of a political stalemate in this country, if, you know, uh, this uh, idealistic uh, ambition of uh, removing uh, military dictatorship uh, can be obtained. Um, that, that's, uh, that's the reason why we should be, we should keep looking for any opportunities for uh, negotiated compromise to happen. And we should also need uh, this regional support from uh, ASEAN and uh, so that, you know, we, we that the protesters and the, the, the populations uh, will have, uh, you know, access and to uh, to the detained leaders, Dong San Suu Kyi, and also start making a uh, very uh, concrete and realizable realizable goals. And also another thing is that we should not be uh, going into uh, this uh, vicious circle because. Uh, the, the more the regime, uh, the regimes uh, is not recognized, and the more they felt threatened and vulnerable, and they would go into this uh, brutal and horrific crackdown on the civilian populations. But after the crackdown, they feel threatened and you know weakened again, and this restarts the cycle of violence on both sides, without you know, any external help. Like if we have a quarrel in a household, uh, there should be people who come in and, you know, immediate, immediate, uh, mediate between the, you know, the two sides. So, you know, exaggerating the, 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 the quarrel by encouraging, you know, one side or another is not a solution. So I understand that many people in Myanmar these days see this as a struggle between the good and evil, but we still should keep some, you know, gray areas open. Uh, we should have some space so that, you know, this national reconciliation uh, and, you know, peacemaking can be, uh, can be possible. Because also at the end of the day, so we have a, you know, longer civil war in the country uh, and, and this uh, civil conflict uh, between uh, a number of uh, ethnic armed organizations and, uh, and the, the central government can only be solved with the full participation of the national armed forces. So, you know, when we try to solve the situation in the long, uh, in the short term, we should also consider the consequences and the implications that would have uh, for the country's peace process and national reconciliation. Mo, Mo Tuzar, we are almost out of time, but I'll give you the last word, uh, if I may, 30 seconds to one minute. Do you concur with all of that? Uh, would you like to add anything to, to that? Well, Sonny uh, makes important points, and uh, I'm glad to uh, note that he also picked up on what I talked about, mediation being imperative. Uh, mediation is important because there are these gray areas that Gosonia highlighted. 
It is just that I think for the current uh, moment of struggle, uh, it becomes more uh, between forces of uh, good and evil, black and white. But Myanmar has always been in shades of grey because of the historical legacies that we've been talking about. So when mediation happens, there needs to be creative ways um, looking back at what has worked or not worked in the past. Gosomiao mentioned an ASEAN special envoy. Um, I maintain that it should also be with other mechanisms such as involving the past, present and incoming chairs of ASEAN because it's going to be a long-term proposition. It's not something that neither the international community nor the regional organization or even people in Myanmar can deal with and move on. It's not an instant gratification moment. Um, if, if it is uh, anything, the reality that has led to this point has been decades in the making, compounded by very intransigent attitudes. And I think um, it will need the, that long-term kind of uh, consultations, negotiations, and the goodwill and support of the international community working together with who can actually uh, bring about change and also building capacities for change with the organizations and entities that are currently uh, supporting uh, what is important. With, and, and of course, looking at how we can establish those rules that um, that entrench civilian rule. But this is all a long-term proposition and Myanmar, I think, needs long-term commitment, support, and understanding. Motuzar, Romain Kayo, and Uso Mintong in Yangon, thank you very much for your time today. The Burmese military, the Tapador, is the same Tapador that was in power only a little over 10 years ago. But it is not the same country it was 10 years ago. It is not the same world as it was in the 80s or even the 90s. There is more visibility. There is less tolerance for atrocities against civilians. Tragically, though, this situation could well get more nasty before it gets better. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.